Hi, this is the Zane Lowe Interviews on Apple Podcasts, and I'm Zane Lowe. Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Harry Styles is an enigma. He emerged onto the world stage as one-fifth of, without question, the most popular boy band of the last decade. Over the course of five albums, One Direction worked non-stop around the clock, turning out massive pop songs and following them up with huge stadium tours, one after the other after the other, until, just like anything else that rises to the top that quick, they decided to call time. What time means remains to be seen, but Harry Styles wasted no time getting back into the studio to start crafting his own music and telling his own story. The album that emerged was a surprise. Drawing inspiration from classic songwriters and bands of the past, we got a real insight into the kind of music Harry Styles wanted to make on his own terms, and the result was Sign of the Times. Whilst it lacked a lot of the pop immediacy of One Direction's catalogue, it opened the door for Harry to explore the kind of territory which inspired him. And coming off the back of that tour, he went back into the studio with his friend and producer Kid Harpoon and a list of collaborators to create an album that was lighter, bouncier, more fun than Sign of the Times. That album is called Fine Line, and it's gone on to become a huge success. A number one album around the world that continues to find new fans every single day because the songwriting is amazing and the artist is authentic. When we sat down to talk to Harry Styles, it was on a beautiful day on the coast in Malibu on a cliff overlooking the ocean. Idyllic, right? The conversation that followed was deep and honest and personal and one of my favorites in recent memory. So I hope you enjoy it right here on Apple Podcasts. This is my conversation with Harry Styles. Why did you connect with California? I mean, you could have gone to an airport and handpicked anywhere in the world and started to some degree again. Right. But you chose to come here. For me, honestly, I think, like, so many of my close friends are here. People from London who've moved here for work and stuff like that. It's like, I'd say since I left home, I have, I've never really had the place that feels like, oh, that's, that's my home. I'd say my house in London is the most homely um, that I feel anywhere. Um, just because I've been there the longest. I've been there for, like, six years now. With like all the touring and stuff that we did in the band, I remember there was one point where we'd been away for so long that I came home to my house in England and I was home for about five days and I walked in the door and I sat down and I was like, I, I don't know what to do like when I'm home at all. I'd been away for so long, I didn't, you know, I hadn't seen my friends for so long. I, was, I didn't know who was around. I was kind of like, who do what I is hang this out strange reality? Yeah. So there was a point, I guess, where I realized I was more comfortable being on the road. Than so what did you do after five home. days? Did you head back off again? Yeah, and I was like happy to get to go. I was, you know, I think it's actually understandable. I, I think there's something about that kind of gypsy lifestyle, which, in particular, the arts that make you travel, music and such, and the idea of having sort of a, a desire to be gypsy just by by your very nature. They attract one another to yeah. some degree. I mean, do you, were you always a little bit kind of? Adventurous as a kid, were you looking further afield even when you were growing um, up? I don't know if I was really. I I'd, I'd, had never been to London before I moved there, which is crazy to me <laughs> to think about it now. That is crazy. You know, it's not that far away from where I grew up. It's like a three-hour drive. Mm. But London was like where the rich kids went shopping on the weekend, like right. with their with their mum or something. You right. know, but also everything about it felt felt like 
it was like, this is a new challenge. And if it takes me to London, then... The whole thing Great. seemed to me to just be a new challenge. It was crazy watching it kind of from a distance and yeah. watching what you and your friends were kind of going through and, and the whole thing. I mean, I suppose with the benefit of some, of some wisdom and some age now, looking back on it, you must even have a slightly different perspective than when it first ended in 2015. It's been mm. four years and just kind of thinking what happened. Yeah, it's pretty, cra it's pretty crazy now because there'll be times where people will remind me of stuff that happened that mm. I forgot about and you like relive it all over again. You're kind of like, oh yeah, that was cool, that was cool too. You know, the first two years, you don't even feel like you're working at all because you're just so happy to not be going to school. And it, it's like, Wait I, me get, oh, I get to do this, yeah. great, okay. Um, and you kind of go from also like, you know when you're a kid and you like, you see a t-shirt that you want and you like save up the exact amount. Yeah but you'd have to account for like the postage and packaging. So you'd actually have to like save up for this amount. You know, you're kind of like doing this and then you move to London and you work doing stuff that's fun and you're like, can I buy this t-shirt? And someone's like, uh, yeah, if you want. And you're like, okay. And that kind of feels like what life is like. <laughs> yeah, then. then it just goes from t-shirt to, of, to so. flat, from flat um, to house to, if you know, you're so. lucky enough to, to, to have that kind of success. I mean, I'm interested to know two memories, and we're not gonna stick around here for long because there's so much more to talk about. But while we're here, what was, now you've been away from that experience, what's the, the strongest prevailing memory you have before One Direction started? Like, what can, <clears throat> what's the sharpest, most vivid memory you have in your mind before your life before was tipped upside starts, down? Yeah. Right before everything changed? Because um, it was so sudden. I mean, it was over the course of, what, 10 weeks, and all of a sudden, that's it. You're not, you're not going home again. Yeah. I mean, probably like a birthday meal I had with some friends. I used to live next to a Chinese restaurant. Um, and it was like my favorite restaurant. <laughs> so I used to come home from school every day. I'd get up to my bedroom, like open the window and stick my head out. To smell like, it. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> you know? And uh, that was like where I went for my birthday meals. But I'd, I'd say probably the... The biggest stuff would probably be, there was a river, it's called the River Dane, where, you know, everyone would go down in the summer and you'd buy that, those little disposable barbecues you used to take and someone would be in charge of like buying sausages and someone would have to buy the drinks. The Tinfoil like, barbecues you used to put on yeah, the Yeah, and you like put them on the floor and then you try and squeeze like, yeah. <laughs> somehow 12 sausages onto this like tiny thing. Um, okay, what's the one prevailing memory you have today of that, was it four years? Five. Five years? Yeah. What's the one, what's one that really jumps um, out? One of my favorite memories, I'll give you two. The first one was when we'd just been formed as a band, there was like a picture of us that had been taken from when we were at the show, like mm. someone's mom had taken it. And it was like the first picture of us, just the five of us. And we were staying at my stepdad's house. We were like living in this little bungalow, all of us together to like practice. And we were just like singing songs and basically just had a sleepover for like four days and everyone drove down. And, and there's a tiny little uh, like news agent down the street. And we'd heard this picture was being put in the paper. So we were like, oh, we're gonna be in the paper. <laughs> like, that's crazy. So. 
the five of us like walk, like left this little bungalow and walked down to the newsagents and got the paper and then came back and had breakfast and we're all just like sitting staring at the paper and like passing around the paper and we're like let me see it again let me see it again and uh, I don't know I guess just because we had we just didn't know what was going to happen it's a timeless we image just, that's a timeless we just, image we were so happy about it that first real piece of like recognition when you when you realize that it's not an, it's not a controlled environment anymore like people that you don't know down the street can actually take a look at you or hear you is that's still without a doubt a life-changing moment right. for every artist of the respect yeah because it only happens one time too oh after that remember. everything kind of changes yeah because we were we were watching X Factor at my family we were at my cousin's house the day that my audition went on air mm. and you know we watched it and we're like oh my god that's crazy and then we're driving home and we go to a petrol station to stop off and fill up I'm in the petrol station and this guy goes, were you just on X Factor? And I was like, yes, I was. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say that. And then the other one, I guess, once the band had really started was we were in Sweden recording What Makes You Beautiful mm. in the studio. Someone came up into the room and was like, there's two girls outside. And we were like, why? And they're like, they're, they're like, looking for you. And we were all just like, but we're in Sweden, <laughs> you know? So I, that was like another It's super of, innocent. Same. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that was kind of thing like, oh my God, that's so crazy. Like we're in Sweden. How, how, you know? Fast forward to the end of it and you are out here a few months afterwards and like that decompression leading into the writing of the first album, right? Leading into your self-titled album. That idea of um, having some independence for the first time, really to kind of do whatever you want. How did that feel? Uh, pretty amazing, actually. I didn't really have a plan for like when I wanted to make a record. I knew I wanted to start writing at some point. Um, and that's kind of why I came out here. And I started with Kid Up Burn. So Sweet Creature was the first song we did. That was like in my mm. first writing sessions when I kind of started like, because up, up until that point, I'd done a lot of sessions with different people and I tried to write with as many different people as possible just to feel like, just to like learn. Yeah. I just wanted to learn. It was like, the best way I've ever heard songwriting described is like, it's kind of like surfing in that you can practice getting up on the board as much as you want, and sometimes the wave just doesn't come. Mm -hmm. Or the wave comes, but you haven't practiced getting up on the board enough. Every now and again, you've practiced enough, and the wave comes, and that's when you write, you write that song. the song. That's when, that's when it comes yeah. through. That's when the music, so, everything's in the right place. So I kind of always wanted to be prepared to stand up on the board whenever the wave came. Do you surf? Not enough. I wish I surfed more. I actually, the waves out here are really, in are really intense. <laughs> yeah. And I think the last time I surfed was here and I got absolutely beaten up. I kept like flipping. It was terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good look until you get in the water and you realize right. that you're a little out of your depth, literally. Um, how important was friendship to you when you started out as well? Because you were trying out with, like you say, you were trying lots of different songwriters, but I felt like when the album finally came out, you found a tight group of friends who 
we're, yeah, we're more than I'd, just collaborators. I'd say know? to finish the the thought, when I'd been writing in the band, mm. it was kind of like if I'd ever written stuff that that was just with a friend or something, it was kind of like, well, I'm not going to release any music, but what would it sound like if I was to write a song that was for me? Was that a contractual thing or was it just a loyalty no, to the band thing? Just didn't really want to. Yeah. And um, definitely didn't have time to. Yeah, right. But I knew that like maybe one day I'd want to do it, but I wasn't like, I can't wait to get out of this thing so I can go and make my own record. Yeah. You know? So did the end of it creep up on you? A little bit. Well, I wouldn't say crept up. I guess the last year of it, we all kind of knew we were going to stop at the end of that year. So how, how do you know? I mean, you know, it's, it's this juggernaut. It's this non-stop. Well, we would have like, we'd sit down and have conversations about like everyone good, everyone wants to keep going yeah, yeah, and yeah. that kind of thing. And there was a part of me where I felt like all of the decisions I'd made as an adult that affected my life and what I had, to, what I was doing with my life had been made as a group. Mm. And I think there was a part of me that felt like I wanted to make some decisions for myself, mm. where it was like, you never really had to make the decision because I could, I could put my hat in the ring, but still be like, oh, well, majority rules and I got outvoted. I felt like I need to make some decisions that just affect me. You know, Zayn already did that and he bounced out mid-tour and I, I think it was pretty amazing you guys saw that tour through for fans. I think it was probably a wobbly 24 hours for people where they thought, well, that's going to start something. Right. But looking back on it now, like, how challenging was that to complete that tour and to see that through and, and how, you know, how impactful was that decision for him to, to not see, see it through to the end? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was hard, you know? Part of it was, it was kind of like we were sad, obviously, that someone had left, but also sad that he was so, he was not enjoying it so much that he had to leave. Because I think at the time, too, the tour and everything was going so well, and we were, everyone had kind of got to this place where everyone was kind of living in a way where they, I think, felt pretty good while enjoy touring. Enjoy it. Yeah. Like, enjoy it. Yeah. It felt like everyone was kind of enjoying it. And um, yeah, I'd say a big part of it was, was us kind of being like, wow, he didn't realize he wasn't enjoying it that much, you know? You know, obviously there was a big, there was big moments for us where we were like, what are we doing? You know, because we were about to start recording a new album and yeah. stuff and it was like, are we just, are we recording this without him? And, but I'd say in the moment, I guess the, the four of us became closer. Because mm. um, we were like, okay, this is a hurdle that we weren't expecting. And I think you deal with this in many different places when, when you're <laughs> with like traveling and touring, it, it, and it's a demanding thing and not everyone likes doing it. But it's kind of like if someone's not enjoying it, you'd rather they don't do it. That's why contracts are strange to me. Like, I understand there's a desire to do them when there's a lot of money involved, and in particular when there's, there are certain businesses that, that really work, but in the arts and things that are creative, like, I never understand of keeping people against their will. Like, you're not yeah, going to get good work never, out of it. I never get that with, like, the record deal stuff where it's like, why would you 
You know, like when people like won't release people from contracts. Yeah. Stuff, it's like, why would you want? Why would you want a begrudged employee yeah, in the creative space? Why would you want like an artist I don't get to it. make stuff for you when they don't want to make stuff? It seems like mm. completely counterproductive to me. But I mean, you know, I'm also not a businessman, so <laughs> you're doing all right in that department. Though, so you've got some good instincts. <laughs> you know, you hire well. <laughs> I don't know. If, maybe. <laughs> I'd um, say my gut is the only thing that I do trust. Interesting. In terms of people. That's really important, right? I mean, there's only two rules you should really live by, instinct and diligence, mm -hmm. right? One gets you into the room. The second one makes you double check and make sure you should stay there. I can also tell because the times where I've ever been like really, really upset by people yeah. is when I'm more upset with myself when I've got it wrong. Yeah. Because I feel like I have a really, I'm like, a, I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of character. And... That's the only time I feel myself get really upset with stuff like that. Is where you're like, oh, I trust this person, or you know, I, mm. I feel like they're a good thing, and then it goes the other way, and you're kind of like, oh, I got that wrong, and then I end up like really bummed out about it for a while. But, yeah, yeah, that's you know, cl that's classic hard on yourself syndrome. To be right. honest with you, yeah. you know, taking other people's bullshittery and blaming yourself for totally. it. It's like it's that, that's then, therapy uh, 101. Right, therapy yeah. 101. Have you tried that therapy? I love it. Uh, yeah, I have, actually, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I think for a really long time, especially when I started coming to California, there was a big thing for me where I felt like everyone went to therapy. They do. <laughs> right, and I, I, I think for a long time I was like, I don't need that. You know, it's very, like, British way of looking at it, I think. And then I think there was a point where I kind of was trying to work out a lot more stuff about myself because obviously then I was, then it was just me working. On your own, yeah. Um, and I think it kind of comes with, when you're trying to make music, you're, it's so navel-gazing. You're just like, like the, making an album, I feel like is the most self-indulgent time you, you can think of, really, because you're just like, Oh, if you didn't have the opportunity to share it, if you didn't actually right, finish yeah. and share it with us, right. it would be narcissism of the most uh, epic of course. order. Right? Can you imagine you just make a, like an album <laughs> just to yourself it, and then you don't it. release it? You're it's like, therapy, I suppose, in a weird way. But then we, yeah. get, we get the trade. That's what we get is right. we get the trade on it. We get all that kind of navel-gazing, as you put it, and that self-reflection right. somehow for forms this magic shape that we get to apply to our own lives. And then we become narcissistic because we say, well, Harry's speaking to me. Right. So I get to apply it to my right. life, right? <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think with the therapy thing, I just realized I was just getting in my own way. You know, it's been a thing where I've definitely felt it have an impact on my life and something that I've kind of introduced some friends to who were going through stuff and they were very skeptical about it. I would assume you're a good friend, you're a loyal person. Try to be. Yeah. So who, who are some of your best friends? Who are the people that help you through these times that are some of the people that you know are really, that, that you're close to? I'm pretty lucky actually with, with that stuff because, and it's probably why I didn't go to therapy earlier, is because I have those friends where I'll have the same conversation that I would have with a the therapist. I was at this talk thing where Alan DeBotton was talking and he was talking about how like real friendship is just built on vulnerability. The second you open up to someone with like a real thing is when you actually get to know someone. So I definitely got 
if there was someone that I was friends with and I felt like, oh, I want to be like close to them, just open up really kind of straight away. And doing that has definitely caused me to become much closer with like just people, just my, all of my friends in general, I'd say. How did you feel about, um, when you started, started on, this, on this new album, right on Fine Line, had your opinion changed about your self-titled debut? Were there things that you felt in the heat of the moment in the process of, of coming out of One Direction and making a solo record that you would do differently or that you felt that album didn't quite achieve? Um, when I like listen to the first album now, I can hear all of the places where I feel like I was playing it safe because I just didn't want to get it wrong. I just didn't want to get it wrong. You so started bad. with a mid-tempo seven-minute single, bro. Right. I mean, it wasn't that safe, <laughs> yeah. to be fair. Yeah. Uh, apart from that... Carry on. <laughs> but um, I guess a big part of going into this album was I spent a lot of time kind of thinking about the whole process of you make an album, then you put it out, and you, you know, kind of release it, and then you tour it, and all of the bits that... I didn't enjoy as much. I kind of went into the second one feeling like I want to work out how to make all of this feel really fun. So that's why you drank margaritas and did yeah. mushrooms. Yeah. yeah, I guess. I, I think it was kind <laughs> of like... Out to Malibu. <laughs> I, get, I had this moment where I was like, I would rather not do it than yeah. do it and it not be fun. Making this album was all about freedom. Yeah, and of course. Sounds it. I had a big moment of... I guess through the whole making of this record, I was kind of trying to redefine what success meant to me. For so long, especially in the band, it was like every album got bigger and every tour got bigger and it was like always growing. And I think when I went to make the first record, it was kind of freeing because I felt like, well, I don't have to do this anymore. You're still like, well, if the last band thing was this and then your first thing oh, is this. Oh, lined up still, to judge. Everyone is right. lined up to judge. Like you come right. out with that first album <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't smash it. It's like, oh, well, I guess out of the right. band, it's a no-go, right? Right. And so for me, when that album came out, I felt that you already were kind of redefining success in your own terms because you went and connected with your audience, I thought to me at least, like in a very real way. Like you went back to, to, to trying to really connect with people you can't connect in a baseball stadium. Right. That was a thing that I'd always said I wanted to do yeah. when we kind of started and when we started doing the music, it was like, I kind of said to my manager, like the first tour that I do, I want it to be really small. And then I guess with, with this one, it was like, I just wanted to have fun. I just wanted to have so much fun. That's what success is. That's where you landed on the redefinition yeah, I, of success. Yeah, and one of my friends kind of said, if you're happy, doing what you're doing, then nobody can tell you you're not successful. I mean, it's so obvious, but it's also the kind of thing where probably four years ago, if someone had said that to me, I'd be like, okay. Because no, you were too busy making yeah. everybody else happy. <laughs> and also, I guess, when I was in the band, there was a big thing of, because we would make, the last three records we made on the road, mm -hmm. and I had friends who were musicians who I knew would like, they would tour, and then they would, take six months off to and go and make dive a into a pro Yeah, into a process. And I used to be like, oh my God. You can do that? What, so you're just like, you're just making, that's it. You, that's it, all you're doing You're right in now. room 1607. You're, you're just making. At the Marriott in Hong Kong. Surrounded trying to by like four mattresses <laughs> and one over the top. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
On the last two tours as well, we bought this like old surveillance van and converted it into a studio so it would follow the tour around. So like at the venue, you'd go into this tiny little surveillance van that had no air conditioning. What, you so, and One Direction would go yeah. in the back, we'd recorded songs yeah. in the back of a van on the road. So we had That's this. That's the bossiest shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if people are walking past the van, they've got no idea. Well, it'd be like in the venue. In the venue, right, okay. Right, um, right. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's, it's fun to, to record it like that. It's just a totally different process. The album starts with the Golden, which is like, you said before that vulnerability is the way to great friendship, and I feel like that song establishes that. I mean, there's a lot of like, I know you're scared, but man, I'm just gonna tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what that song is about. It's yeah. kind of, it, and it sets the stall out for the album too. It's a very personal album. Golden, we wrote on day two of being in Shangri-La. That was kind of like, and immediately as soon as we'd done it, it was like, oh, this is, this is track one. You knew it. Right? I love that feeling. It's one of the best parts of making a record is making yeah, the track so listing good. up as you go. Because I always end up with track one and the last track. And right. then you're like, okay, let's see what. So your new fine line would be the last track? Yeah, as soon as we Did you know it was the album title as well? No. It's such a powerful piece of music. We can skip Thanks. to the end if you want. That's <laughs> like, that is one of my favorite songs of the Thanks. year. I mean, that's just... That's a stunner, man. Um, Golden came really early, and then I used to drive from here to the studio and listen to it. And it's kind of like, as soon as we had it, Golden was like the perfect Magic. PCH song. Magic. You know, it's like driving down the coast. It was just, that is what the song is for. Like, it feels so Malibu to me, that song. I heard that the first person you played the full album to was Liam Gallagher. Is that true? One of the first people. Uh, yeah, I guess by accident, I guess. So what was, happened? Well, he was in, uh, we were working in a studio in London mm. and he was in, we were kind of trying to finish up and he was in the studio next door. He came in at, well, I can't remember how it happened, but, but you he had kind met of just it ended like up. It was the first time. Yeah, it was the first time. He kind of just ended up in there listening, which was crazy. You know, I was a massive Oasis fan. Of course. And then he invited us all over to go listen to his record and we listened and we all like had fish and chips and talked and stuff and he's really, he's cool. I'd imagine Watermelon Sugar would have been a standout for him. I don't know why. It just kind of feels like that's his vibe. That was, I don't even know if we played uh, Yeah, maybe we played in that. But none of, the, none of that stuff was finished. I don't think that had horns on it yet. Right. Lights Up, I don't think was written. Lights Up Adore You, Treat People, and uh, yeah, those three, I think, were all hadn't been done yet. They what were all like the last week, basically. Watermelon Sugar, which um, at this point is out, and yeah. you performed on SNL, um, and everyone's kind of figured out what it's about. Uh, the joys of, you know, mutually appreciated oral pleasure. Mm. <laughs> um, is that what it's about? Is it? I don't know. That's what everyone's saying. Oh. Always Crazy. good to leave it open to interpretation. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, but it's something that just seems to kind of have followed you around, that idea of you not just being a sex symbol, but that you, a lot of your music is inspired so, by okay. this. So uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. But I actually wanted to ask you a genuinely serious question about that because people throw it around like it's fodder, but it is actually awkward, right? Like, how do you feel sometimes when people seem very focused on you in that light? In all honesty, I'd say I try and think about it as little as possible because it's a very strange dynamic thing. Um, it's also like a weird thing to think of about yourself. Totally. Like, um, I guess the thing with like sex 
in general is like, it used to feel so much more taboo for me to even like, even like when we're in the band, like the thought of people thinking that I had sex was like, oh no, that's crazy. Like, what if they know? But it's like, you know? Yeah. So come, even just like coming into this record, I, I wanted to feel a little less like guarded with stuff. I wanted to feel a lot freer and just more joyful and like honest. And mm. I think a lot of the time with like, when there's like tabloid stuff, for example, of like people breaking up and, you know, it's like, I think people forget that there's like a person who's also broken up with someone, which is sad. Like, yeah. you get it's, sad when you break up with someone. Yeah. It feels to me this album in part, and excuse me if I'm being too personal, but no. based on the music, it feels like a breakup record in, in, in some respects. And it's one particular song, like a song called Cherry, which is <laughs> crazy. I mean, cutting right to it, you know, with some real imagery of um, losing someone to someone else and there still being that remnant mm-hmm. of uh, your relationship moving into a new space, which is right at the core of heartbreak. I mean, yeah. That's like one of the most devastating images. If you're lucky enough to get your heart broken, that's one of the most right. devastating images you can go through. And you're also quite specific, you know, in terms of, it feels to me like it's quite specific in referencing your, the relationship you've been in. Yeah, and it's kind of like, it's a weird one for me because I'm always like, you know, I don't, like to kind of explain songs or like kind of explain the meaning behind them and stuff like that. But I think with this record, it's so much more open yeah. that it's like, but you've told us in the, yeah. like it tells you what it is, you know? Mm. I think a thing that I like about kind of definitely where this record went, especially compared to the last one is like, when I start making an album, I don't feel like, oh, I'm making an album that I'm gonna put out in December of next year. Or it feels like I just start writing some songs and then, so then I can be as honest as possible. And then the time when you get to decide if you think it's too honest is when you're putting it out. And I never wanna like trim that stuff down. So you never thought for one second when you listen back to Cherry later on that would be having a conversation or, fan, or other people would be listening to it, trying to decipher it and how that would make you feel. You felt you wanted to be true to it. I think I wanted to be true to it. I think the moment that I wrote it, I wanted to be true to the moment that I wrote it and how I was feeling then. And the thing with... The how thing are you feeling then? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> the, but I think also in the moment I felt, I felt like I was realizing some stuff about, it was all part of like being more open and, you know, not being like, I don't care. It's like, no, like you get petty when, you know, when it's, when something's not going the way that you want. Like you get petty with that stuff. And I think there's something with Cherry where it's like, it's so pathetic kind of in a way. The night that I wrote it, We'd been writing for a few weeks and everyone had uh, left the studio. It was me, uh, Tyler and Sammy, who's our engineer. And we were kind of sitting around talking at like 2 a.m. maybe. And I was saying that I was feeling a lot of pressure because the last record wasn't like a radio record. 
I felt like a lot of pressure to be making these like big songs. And I was like, I feel like it, this record has to be really big. So I feel like I need to make certain songs. You know, I have all these ideas about records that I want to make, and I want to make this record in five years, and I want to make this record in 10 years, and I want to make like just these ideas for records that I want to make. And we had this conversation, and Tyler just said to me, you just have to make the record that you want to make right now. That's it. There's no like, let me make sure this one's a commercial success so that I can make what I want later down the road. Um, you just have to make the record that you want to make right now. He's right. So then we stayed up and wrote Cherry that night. Hmm. So, How'd you, so you felt bad us. when you wrote it. How'd you feel when you finished it? So good. <laughs> like I loved it so much. It's an amazing song. It. Who's this? Who's speaking at the end? What's the vocal at the end that cuts That was my ex-girlfriend. Yeah, so yeah. that's interesting, and I think it's super cool that you left that in, obviously, from a sort of imagery point of view, because I love all that stuff. I love hearing things that revolve around music and aren't necessarily just tied to a yeah. structure. But the decision to keep, you know, your ex-girlfriend speaking at the end of the song is, like, so blunt and so straight up. Like, what <laughs> yeah. the f*** was going through your mind? Like, anyone else who's just broken up with someone right now is, like, not on a w your wildest day what I do. Yeah, that. I know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think it was, like... Because it got added in later on, and it felt so part of the song. It just felt like it needed it. We're friends and stuff, so I asked her if it was okay, and she was okay with it. And, what did she think of the song? Um, I think she liked it. Uh, Come on, man, it's written about it, right? It's, you gotta go, you gotta love that at the end of the day, man. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, there's a song called Falling on the Record, which the first time I heard it, it was like everyone was just floored. And it's a real standout. It's going to become something I think that people will carry with them, irrespective of the context of the album. They'll zero in on that song as well in its own way. And um, Tom was telling me that 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 was that came super fast. Mm -hmm. I was going out for dinner, I think, and I was getting picked up from Tom's house. So he came to pick me up, and I was showering, and he was like playing on the piano. And as I came out of the shower, he was playing like the dun 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 dun. dun. I went and stood next to him at the piano, just in a towel, and we just kind of wrote the whole thing. So it was really and how fast. how long? How long did it take? I'd say falling maybe took like probably 20 minutes. What? I mean, that's I 20 minutes in a towel. That's real friendship. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, right. about three days. He's like, like, okay, we finished it. Please go put, put some, some trousers on. Put yeah. some pants on us on. Yeah. That's one of those moments, right, where the surfing, the surfing analogy where the wave and the practice yeah. all comes together. Where do you think that came from, the subject matter, if it came so quick? Um, what do you think you were saying in that song, listening back to it now? I think it was like, for me, what I hadn't really experienced before was during the making of this record, the times when I felt good and I felt happy were like the happiest I've ever felt in my life. And the times when I felt sad was yeah. like the lowest I ever felt in my life. And I think it was kind of, that feeling of when you can feel yourself kind of falling back into one of those moments where, yeah. you, where you're there. And the chorus says, like, what am I now? Am I someone I don't want around? It was kind of like... Yeah, it's powerful. It's super self-absorbed and self-indulgent in, in a sort yeah. of, like, self-hating kind of way. It, kind of. I guess it was a big moment where I was kind of asking myself, like, who am I... Like, Becoming. what am I doing? Yeah. Kind of. And there's imagery know? in there of being too drunk and wandering hands and all that stuff. That, yeah. all, the, all, the, all the guilt points yeah. along and just the way. Like, I kind of started to feel like threads of 
you know, where I could see myself becoming someone that I didn't want to be. Mm. And, uh, and that was really hard. But I think that the thing that's nice with that is you get to write a song about it and be like, okay, next, you know. And who helps away. you at those moments? Does your mum still play a really important role? Your family? And by the way, you don't have to be you. Right. There are people doing all kinds of things in all walks of life who are losing their way and need people to bring them back into yeah. line. So let's just talk about that relationship for a second because I know family's a big thing for you. My fa- like, I'm so lucky with my family. They've always just been really supportive. And that's kind of, it's kind of all you can ask for with, with like doing this is obviously, you know, sometimes you don't want to go home and be like, I'm miserable right now. Because you want to be like, no, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. And that happens too. But also have the relationship with my family where if I need to have that conversation, I can. What's the best bit of advice your mom's given you? The thing with my mum is she's less of like a, she's less of like a soundbite of advice. She's more, she's like the kindest woman I know, you know? So for me, it's always been like just watching her, how she is with people and, and stuff is like, she just, I just don't think she has like a bad bone, which is an incredible thing to grow up around. To have that person like supporting you is, um, It's amazing, she's the best. She's like actually the best, so. Who do you miss the most? Who do you wish was still around? Probably my stepdad. Stepdad passed away a couple years ago. Um, That's tough. He was pretty great. He was like a pretty great guy. Yeah. And what have you learned sort of going through life now as you're kind of experiencing loss because we all have to cross that bridge and yeah. that's kind of sobering and then that's when adulthood's really knocking on your door and you start to really take advantage of and, and reprioritize things and, you know, coming out the other end of that really, really high-octane, visceral childhood that you had into your 20s and getting into your second <clears throat> album and being an independent human being who's got a strong relationship with your family, like, how have your priorities shifted and what are the things that, that really come into focus for you now? Friendships, probably just the most important thing to me. Like the people I'm really close with are just, I'd say way more important to me than anything else. I've definitely felt a difference in the conversations that I have with friends. I guess since you like experience death more. When you're a kid and you lose a grandparent or something. Yeah. And it's really sad, but also it's like, oh, grandparents are the people who die first. That's there's some natural order to that. Yeah, and um, I think like the first time you lose like a friend is when you really feel like an adult. You're kind of like, wow. It's because it's one of the first experiences you have, I think, where you lose control, completely yeah. lose control. You know, I think you have those, those moments where, and every single person does it who's ever lost a friend where, you know, whether you're close to them or not, I think everyone has that thing of like, I wish I'd just asked one more time if they were okay, you know? And if there's any positive thing that could possibly come out of that, it's that now the conversations that I have with friends about that stuff is is way different in terms of like, you know, you ask a friend if they're okay and it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And you're like, I'm like more prepared to have that, like, no, but, you know, 
Give me the real you stuff. You actually okay. Give me the real stuff. You know? And that's like their conversations that I have with my friends now. And, and you're equally vulnerable in your own way. And you're able yeah, to give absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's like a really important thing. And that obviously, like I said earlier, is where like real friendship comes from. I don't think everyone's lucky enough to have it and I don't think it happens all the time. So so interesting that you know you came out of this experience which has left so many people isolated and fearful and paranoid and not wanting to connect with human spirit because they've had non-stop human spirit surrounding them for years, right? And you're like so different. It's like you just kind of called time on it and then just went searching for real human experience almost immediately. You know, you came to California in the search for people and for experience and for yeah, and for relationships. I mean, the thing with my relationship with California is like it's also definitely changed over the last few years, but when I first came here, it was like, oh, if you get to move here, it means you've made it. Like, you did good. I mean, you know? to be fair. Yeah, but this isn't my house. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, you get this like, it's everywhere you've seen in movies and you're yeah. kind of like, oh, it's amazing. Like, you're in the mix and you get to be here. And I think the more time I spent here, I was like, oh no. Actually, if you can come here and then leave, is when you feel really great. If you're like, oh yeah, that's amazing. See you in two months. See you in a bit, <laughs> yeah. But that just goes back so. to what you were saying about, you strike me as being someone who's just restless. Yeah, I mean, the thing with here is like, I've never felt at home here in LA, which is, you know, in one sense, not great, but at the same time, I always feel like I'm on holiday when I'm here. Yeah, it's fair. So. I really enjoy being here. A lot of my closest friends are here, which is where I usually feel the best is when I can see those people. So as this, um, kind of, as this conversation comes to a natural end, as the sun goes down on, yeah. on, our, on, our, time, on our time together, yeah. um, what is London to you then, if, if that's the closest thing to home? Um, London's like just where I'll want to be at some point. And it's a weird one because after traveling so much, I don't think, I don't look at the future as like, I'm gonna live in this one place and then I'll never move anywhere. I think it's just about like being happy. I just wanna be happy and if- And are you? If, I feel pretty good right now, yeah. You had fun making this album? Uh, yeah, so much fun. What's the most fun memory of making this album? I'd say, I'd say probably my favorite memory from, from making this, one of at least was, the day we wrote Golden, we stopped and went to have dinner and we were all sat in the kitchen at Shangri-La. And we kind of just played it like on one guitar and everyone kind of singing it around the, the table. Like, and it just felt really good. Like it felt so much more joyous than last time. And I think that makes sense because like you said, the first single was a seven minute piano ballad. So like, it would have been weird to come out being really joyous, but. You can keep going. Oh yeah? Yeah, it's keep going. Okay, great. Um, and, and I think part of the thing with like, the mushrooms thing for me is that I never do anything when I'm working. Mm -hmm. And I don't even drink when I'm working, if I'm touring, 
or anything. I don't drink really at all. And when I was in the band, it was like, to me, it felt like it was so much bigger than any of us. Yeah. That I, I kind of felt like I'm not going to be the one who fucks it up. So I was like, now is the time in my life when you probably go out and experiment and do this and you take this and you do that. Because it's on your shoulders. And that's what you do with your friends. And I was like, I'm not going to be the guy who messes it up. So I was like, I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Making this record felt like, I just felt so much, like, so much more joyous. And I was with my friends and we were in Malibu. Safe. And it was like, yeah, I felt so safe. It was like, I want to take some mushrooms, I'm going to take some, like, now's the time to have fun. Like, we're in Malibu, 24. I'm also in music, I'm not like, do you know, it's like, you know, it's like I'm <laughs> you not... You want to be the first musician to like experiment a, in that environment. I'm not like a politician, I don't think it's that crazy. I don't think it's that crazy, it's definitely not um, crazy. What is the, um, do you enjoy it? Yeah, I think my thing with, with drugs is like, if you're taking anything to escape or to try and hide from stuff, mm -hmm. then you shouldn't even drink. Mm -hmm. And if you're taking anything to like have fun and be creative, then great. And I was with my friends and making an album, you obviously get so in your head and you get so like self-conscious about everything and you hit these bumps in the road where you're kind of thinking, is this good enough? And is it this enough? Is it that enough? There's like an afterflow of some of that stuff where sometimes you take something and then for 10 days after you're like, don't worry about it. Everything's gonna be fine. It's like what are you, it, it's like kind of stress relieving in, in, totally. in a sense. And, and that's where you're at now, I guess, in your life is as you redefined success and you had fun making this album, is that you're just trying to worry less? I think so, yeah. I think that, that's like been a big part of the, this whole thing for me, is like, I'm just trying to go through life being a little less worried about stuff. Definitely with like working, because ultimately it'll be okay. It's like, if you don't hit the top of the chart, your life doesn't change. Like, I think realizing that, it's like, if that was what I was aiming at, and then it didn't happen, then I'd feel so much worse. Mm. But redefining it for me has been amazing to be like, oh, but I'm, that's not the game I'm playing. You did it. There's a freedom with that. And you know, you don't get to go out on arena tours with Jenny Lewis, if you're trying to right. play the game, you know. She's so sick. She's the best. You don't take Casey Musgraves out before she won the Grammy if you're trying to, like, these are bold moves. It's obvious how talented Casey and Jenny are, but you would be making a far more methodical, chart-based decision, you know, taking someone else out that would fill a different kind of void, you know what I mean, in the night? Yeah. Whereas it just strikes me that you're making decisions based on what's making you happy. Especially with that stuff, because Casey, I just love her. Her coming on tour was, I was more thinking of like, 
who do I want to watch every night for like 30 shows? Yeah. You know? And you were so dialed in. Um, the timing was unbelievable because that album is so special. Yeah. And then it's eventually, like, it's like the whole she world works it out. She was booked before the album came out. Which is nuts. Because I just think she's so good. Unbelievable. Her and voice. I just want to watch people who are inspiring and you just want to be around like good stuff. I'm just a massive fan of hers. So when she came out, it was really cool for me that she was coming. She and then obviously well. the new album came out and it was like, this is amazing. You know, same with, I mean, Leon came out last time. And, and you got KP coming out in the UK. Yeah, she's coming out this time. Jenny Lewis her. coming out in the US. It's all yeah. dialed in, man. And um, this album is really, it's, a, it's an amazing listen from beginning to end. It covers a lot of different ground, really revealing in, in, in a really beautifully written, some amazing lyrics in there that really kind of, I haven't heard people put in, into context before. Songs like Falling and, you know, we talked about Cherry and Fine Line and more mellow moments, but also, you know, even talking about, you know, the, the, the Canyon song where, you know, you're just putting in de- into, into, you know, the idea of reflecting and reminiscing on a time when it was simple and just really great, man, from beginning to end. Thank you. Um, it's been good to connect and talk to you for the first time. I appreciate yeah, it. That was fun. What are you going to do for, for, the, for the Christmas break? I mean, you don't start in earnest till next um, year, right? I'll be doing something. Sure. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Christmas, I go home. I go to my mom's. Yeah. Are you ready for next year, though? I mean, do you feel charged up about the touring yeah. and everything else? I'm, re- I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be... It, it's my favorite part. Um, really? Even more than... I mean, I've completely fallen in love with being in the studio now because of like the freedom that comes with it. And I think also now I'm kind of learning a different way of doing it. I think I'd get like chunks in the studio. I'd book like a studio for two months and then I'd go and I'd be in there every day because I felt like I'd kind of be like, well, we've booked it, so we have to be in there. And I think at some point, you've written everything that you have to write in the moment and you realize you're not actually living because you've just been in the studio for three months. So I'm kind of working out still the balance of like, next time maybe I'll go in the studio for a couple weeks at a time while continuing to just kind of live. Are you gonna act again? Um, yeah. Anything on the horizon? I'd like to. I think for me it's like with the acting thing, like I never wanted to do it as like just doing it to like take a job. Mm. There was something about like the Dunkirk thing where when I heard about it, I was like, I want to be involved in that so bad. I just remember the way that it kind of hit me and where I was excited to watch it, like whether I was in it or not. Mm. I was like, I can't wait to see that. You know, if you if you get to make stuff that you're passionate about and you get to make something that makes you happy, then you're happy and no one can call you unsuccessful, which is great. That's the redefinition of success, my man. Thanks for your time, bro. Thank you. <laughs> wow, memories. I love that conversation. Harry Styles and myself on a cliff overlooking the ocean. I mean, it's, it's just an idyllic setting and the conversation flowed brilliantly. I loved it and I hope you did too. 
At Apple Music, we're searching for and having these conversations with amazing artists all the time. It's what inspires me. And if you're enjoying them, then make sure you subscribe right here and then we can be real friends. Harry Styles' brand new album, Fine Line, and his album, Sign of the Times, alongside all of One Direction's catalog are, of course, available right now to stream on Apple Music. Go do that. We'll see you next time for another conversation soon.